Welcome to the Mormons and Drugs Podcast, a weekly podcast wherein I discuss the shockingly frequent intersections of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. I am Cody, the failed blacksmith, history fan, and ranty host. Nikoni. Nikoni. Uh, that's my middle name. Yeah. Joining me is my co-host and producer, Moth Jula. How you doing, Moth? I am good this fine morrow. You're surviving the plague so far? Yeah, I, I think... <laughs> How about you? I'm I'm not so convinced. You you're getting sick. I think you have the coronas. You think I do? Yeah, you probably do. Mm. I uh, should never go outside again. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, we've discussed the Smith family in depth and their 19th century Christian occultist worldview. Yada yada yada. Uh, Joe the Teenage Witch, Summoning Treasure Guardians, which he later retconned into Angelic Messengers. Joe's brush with the law and his marriage to Emma. Uh, Joe gets the gold plates finally and engages in some small wizard skirmishes to protect them. Uh, He meets Martin Harris, the wealthy Mark, and Joe beautifully pivots through some major Harris fumbles, including losing 116 pages of the then-completed manuscript. In our last episode, Joe directed a group hallucination or vision of the plates, which, as we discussed, looks a lot like Joe's first successful orchestration of a multiple participant entheogenic session. So, Two of these were good old family buddies, mm-hmm. and one was Martin Harris. <laughs> good old Martin. Um, yeah, and, and so uh, Joe, in this... I'm telling him to be quiet. Nasty children. Shall we lock them in the closet? You should lock them in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sass me, girl. Fly, pretty bird. Go. You know what I just realized? We don't have a single closet with a door in it, like on it, to to lock our children in if we wanted. Oh, yeah. Well, that solves that problem. There's a basement. There is the basement. (laughs) Or we could put that creepy door back in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) lock them that was creepy that it had so many locks oh disturbing so as mentioned in the previous episode the book of mormon title page was printed in palmyra's local wayne sentinel um, oh yeah that's right mm -hmm, with uh, no small amount of shade or skepticism if you recall (laughs) it was so uh, well done (laughs) after delivering a telephone to god type revelation (laughs) to the three witnesses bluetoothed it yep And then he uh, subsequently delivered on a promise of visionary communication with angels. Mm -hmm. Uh, Towards the end of June 1829, Cowdery and Smith finally complete the manuscript. So it took them about three months, like I said. Okay, so they published that cover paper Mm -hmm. and then got super motivated to finish it up Mm -hmm. and and published it that same month. Yep. So, uh, you know, with all these... If only someone else I knew... Who was trying to finish a book? I feel like there's someone I know that's mm-hmm. trying to finish a book that I don't. Could, I don't know what you're you talking about. Yeah, no, I <laughs> never has mind. A, has about two or three months to to devote themselves utterly to a project like that. Yeah, God, that would be really nice if that if that happened. <laughs> Just, like like if a pandemic or something like where you couldn't leave the house yeah it'd have to be something like really globally catastrophic yeah to, so that they had to just like be home yeah with their computer and just gosh it'd be nice if only we lived in the 1900s <laughs> or 1800s <laughs> so with all these miraculous happenings uh the religiously ecstatic martin harris was willing to do just about anything at this point to see the book of mormon printed finally and as we'll see by the end of today's episode, by the time this is all said and done, he will have parted with nearly 320 acres in property in order to see the Gold Bible printed in uh, what Joe's idea of biblical English was. Yeah, he's going to sink a lot of money into this operation. 
Martin is. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if I gave the quote. I think I did Obviously. at the end of the Martin Harris episode where he, he's like yelling at his wife, if you'll just like leave me the fuck alone, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll make some money off of this. Yeah, I, you did say that. Uh, while religiously motivated, mm-hmm. he probably was also sinking a lot of his money because yeah. he thought this was going to pay off. And That's then... where I th- stopped feeling really bad for him. Yeah. Well, I... I didn't. I don't know if I got to it either. But there's also a scene where he uh, he beats his wife with a yeah. end of a bullwhip too. You, I, I think you mentioned about where that, I end, and I, yeah, <laughs> I end my sympathy like, for Mary. Yeah. So remember, guys. Remember, as covered last week, uh, there there were men called to be witnesses to the plates and testify to the world that they were totally and utterly not fake plates, uh, comprising of a masonry brick tile attached with tin sheets. They were totally not that. They were real gold plates. And this experience was by firsthand accounts of the witnesses themselves, a holy visual or spiritual experience directed entirely by Joseph Smith and that no physical objects or angels were present. I make such a fuss about this because we see um, as Mormon children, uh, we were taught about this event as though it were a physical demonstration with entirely sober and unvisionary New York farmers. Uh, when I first learned the actual details of this moment in Mormon history, it drastically changed how I looked at these men and uh, the religion in general. Okay. Quick we will... question. Are, you're going to go over how many people are there and who's there? Yeah. We'll, we'll get to... There's about eight of them okay. uh, that are going to join the three. So we'll have 11 witnesses in total that'll sign this little testimonial document at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. Oh, so all these people testif- like wrote it in mm-hmm. the Book of Mormon. And then where did you hear about I, I, I tracked down their accounts and read them. Oh, wait, but they're not in the books? Then? Nope. Well, well as I'm we'll confused. see, they... So uh, there was Joseph, obviously two stories, that one that Joseph approved and put in the books. So the, he gave these men an experience and then afterwards approached them with a pre-written uh, document. And some of them actually, because of how it's worded, I'll read the document uh-huh. just so you know what it says. Uh-huh. But the wording is so... So very classically Joe. Okay. Very, <laughs> that uh, a lot of the men were like, I, I don't know if I want to sign that because that kind of leads people to think that this happened when it didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has to kind of talk them into signing it. Mm-hmm. And later, some of them will re-clarify when they eventually apostatize from the church and they, oh. just, and they leave. They're like, oh, by the way, y'all think this happened. It was actually this. Okay. It doesn't make it any... And none of them speak about it as though it made it any less miraculous. Yeah. They were just like, hey, I this got left out. Okay. And by the way, um, a lot of Mormons will make them seem like, oh, they left the church and they were anti-Mormon. And if you read the accounts, they're really not. They're just like re-clarifying what happened. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. Okay. Cool. Oh, I ask questions. <laughs> Like a I naughty, answer, naughty woman. I don't answer them simply, though. <laughs> yeah, stop, stop being a such a woman about this. Such a Lucy Harris. <laughs> stop asking so many fucking questions. <laughs> uh, we'll cover. I think I did a little bit in the last episode, but we'll cover the Lord's Supper in more detail in the upcoming episodes. But for now, it is a it is a ball of bread about the size of your double fist. So put both your fists together. And about a pint of sanctified wine. So, bread. It's a small loaf of bread. With my two... Okay. So, it's a small loaf of bread. And And about a pint of sanctified wine. Okay. Sanctified is, again, some clever wording, but (laughs) I think Joe was sanctifying things with plants. Laced? Uh, yeah, laced uh, is what I use. Um, <laughs> that's the term that I think we use nowadays. Um, and and they ate this on an empty stomach regularly, and it's a it's a precursor to a shared group hallucination. What do you mean regularly? So they would they did this on the reg. They would fast for like a day, mm-hmm. and then eat some bread and drink about a pint of wine that was san- uh, sanctified or whatever. Okay. And then they would all have the same group hallucinations led by smith and how often would they do this uh we'll get to it that's okay, coming right, in the next episodes okay. but but it gets it amps up I, sorry i just thought this was like a one-time thing but okay in terms of mormon history uh, in the joe years you see this amp up in the kirtland years like so he he moves to kirtland and makes the church that makes church headquarters uh there in mm-hmm, kirtland mm-hmm. and then they uh with there's some drama in missouri they have to go to missouri then they get kicked out of Missouri, then they have to go to Illinois, and it, he dies eventually in Illinois. Okay. But the Kirtland years are when entheogens are out, kind of out in the open. 
and people are talking about them. And then he, when he goes to Missouri, there's a lot of church stuff and he doesn't seem to do a lot of it in those years. And then when he gets to Nauvoo and things are kind of settled and peaceful again mm -hmm. and he has time to do stuff, that's when it is comes back out, but it's in the temple ceremonies now. And it's like a secret thing that only a few people get or you have to like work yourself up to get. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're right before the Kirtland years. He's still kind of running around the New York area, uh, establishing branches or trying to. He hasn't started the church yet. Right. But when he gets to Kirtland, that's when all of the Lord's Supper stuff, stuff starts coming out in the open. Okay. And it's my speculation that it was also happening here. These men just didn't see any reason to really mention it because um, out of the hundreds of men in Kirtland that were doing this, it's only a handful of them that even mention it. Like as though it were a thing to mention, okay. um, because I think a lot of these guys didn't really care if they knew about it or they, it, you know what I mean? It just like the catalyst didn't matter to them. They were just like, Joe can make me see God. That's all I care about. Yeah. And so it was only a few of them, usually medically trained people that were like, hey, uh, <laughs> I should mention the wine ceremony first, I okay. think. Yeah. Um, and they don't explicitly say this is what it is, except for, again, a handful of them. But when it is mentioned, it's. It's pretty obvious that something's going on. Interesting. Okay. Continue, sir. Another digression. <clears throat> uh, that, so the... I said, continue, I'm sorry. good sir. I'm sorry. Um, and that, so all of this unambiguous use is actually just a year after these happenings. So the idea that they were doing that ceremony in that time frame is, I don't think, a stretch. It's pretty plausible that it could be going on as a precursor to these things I'm about to talk about. So the, hypothe the hypothesis that the visionary account of the three witnesses, Cowdery, Martin, and uh, Whitmer, an account that most Mormon historians interpret as a shared hallucination, was in fact induced by psychedelically laced wine and or bread, uh, to me it seems likely. As noted by sympathetic Mormon historian Bill McKeever, quote, Praying to see the gold plates out in the woods seems rather odd. After all, Smith had already commenced translating the plates. Why not just allow three men to see the gold record at that location? Why was the prayer necessary to see the plates if they were in fact tangible? Harris's behavior also seems strange if the plates actually existed. How would his doubt be determined to seeing a physical object? Author Dan Vogel offers an interesting point when he writes, If the printed testimony were all that was available, one would assume that the three witnesses saw the angel and the plates together in a single vision. Delving deeper into Martin Harris's reluctance to uh, hinder the others from seeing the plates due to his doubts, Vogel notes that Smith, Whitmer, and Cowdery saw both an angel and the plates after Harris withdrew from the group. And again, remember, those are the two guys that are probably in on it. The history of the church... Chapter 1, verse 55, recounts how Smith left David and Oliver and went in pursuit of Martin Harris, whom I found at a considerable distance fervently engaged in prayer. Both men joined in prayer, and according to Smith, the same vision was opened to our view. It is important to take note that Smith never claimed to have carried the plates to either the woods where he, Cowdery, and Whitmer prayed, nor does he say that he carried them the considerable distance to where Harris was praying. Yet he and Harris were still able to see them, but only in a vision. Are you talking about the old, the first one right now? I'm talking about the last episode where okay. the three guys saw Sorry. it. Sorry. And remember, like, Cowdery and... You jumped Whit from, like, one to the other, so I got really confused. Sorry. So remember, Whitmer and Cowdery in the last episode not only saw the plates in vision, but even yeah. saw the angel, like, take them to right. a magic vault hill. Yes. Well, a cave and this in is, the mountain. This is writing... The, that quote I gave you is writing from a, a sympathetic Mormon author. Anyway, that brings us to now. Sorry, that was... A, like 15 minutes into this and I'm just getting started. Sorry. Just shortly after showing the three witnesses, the gold plates and religious relics in a visionary or entranced state, Joseph decided via his Bluetooth to God that the eight more witnesses were required. The modern church teaches as they did then that these eight men were gathered in the woods and without any aid of angelic administration, Joe displayed them physical plates no additional relics at this time, no angel or table or sword or any of that stuff. It was just the plates on a stump of a log uh, to a group of eight totally sober men. Did they specifically say sober? <laughs> they, it's implied. Uh, church artwork okay. uh, 
even kind of shows like eight really well-dressed men in like Sunday best, like looking at a log physically moving plates and like, oh, <laughs> those are totally real. Um, in reality, Joe achieved this via his sideshow act of covered plates felt inside a box mm-hmm. or through a heavy canvas while he prayed and directed the men to receive a vision of the plates while they felt them. <laughs> So it was very uh, kind of sideshow circus act. Sweating and tripping balls, and they're pale and sweaty, not wearing their Sunday best. Yes, (laughs) he also uh, suspiciously did this in small, manageable groups of three or less, like he had already established he could do. Very manageable. Uh huh. Uh, Which speaks to the entheogenic explanation. And then later was like, oh, all eight of you saw them, even though it happened in like two or three groups. Oh. Yeah. And that's why some of them had trepidation signing the document because they were like, that, we, it makes it sound like we all saw this at once. Yeah. And we, you know what I mean? Okay. So one can't help but wonder if these men were given, you know, a, a sacramental wine or fumigation, say, before this very serious uh, examination of supposed plates. A cup of smoke? A cup of smoke, yeah, or a bottle of smoke. A yeah, bottle that's of what smoke. He called it. Sorry, not a cup. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> Get that whole bottle. An ad- admittedly hostile source towards the Mormons, Governor Ford of Illinois, uh, nonetheless gave his own sardonic yet revealing contemporary interpretation of the events. With so this is the governor. This is the governor of, of Illinois. Of Illinois, having heard about the Mormons and having met and interacted with them, this is his interpretation Be- of it. Before they go there. Before yeah. Uh, Governor Ford said this like years later Okay, um, about the Mormons and their history when he met some of them. Okay. Uh, quote, the witnesses were set to continual prayer and other spiritual exercises. Then at last they assembled them in a room and produced a box, which he said contained the precious treasure. The lid was opened. These witnesses peeped in, but making no discovery, for the box was empty. They said, Brother Joseph, we do not see the plates. The prophet answered them, O ye of little faith, how long will God bear this wicked and perverse generation? Down on your knees, brethren, every one of you, and pray God for the forgiveness of your sins. Shut up. Yes. The disciples dropped to their knees and began to pray in fervency of the Spirit, supplicating God for more than two hours with fanatical earnestness, and at the time of which, looking again into the box, they now persuaded that they saw the plates. Because they didn't want to be... So, again, antheogenic administration, right before this incident, he does this, they pray for two hours, they get rolling, and he looks in the... And he gets them nice and primed, they look in the box, and lo and behold, they see the plates. Possibly. Possibly. Again, Again, and this is a a negative source against the Mormons. Or they said they saw the plates because they don't want to be deemed as not worthy. He just he he frankly dealt with a bunch of the hierarchy that was involved in this mm-hmm. and had them tell him their story and this is his interpretation of what they told him. Yeah. And it's just interesting that he's like no. he's he's telling it and he doesn't notice but the 2 hour window there is very important for my explanation because that is just enough time to get you going. I'm so horrible. It's it, it and <laughs> admittedly negative, but we, it's worth mentioning because it's it's fun uh, that I'm not the only one that's noticing it's it's weird how these things happen. I was thinking, since you're trying to find your place, I could dress up as Joseph Smith for Halloween. <laughs> and then when kids come to the door and they'd be trick or treat and I could show them the empty bowl of can like the bowl of no candy and they'd be like, Well, where's the candy? I'd be like, You can't see it. You can- Down on you- your knees. You are not worthy of the candy. <laughs> it was just a trick. It was a trick, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They all run away crying. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. I got my goggles. Yeah, we'll make some magic specs and a breastplate. All the parents, wine for everyone. I'll stand in a white robe with a glowing sword. Oh my god. Okay. Done and done. <laughs> Halloween plans set. set. <laughs> um, Kids are gonna hate us. <laughs> uh, where the fuck am I? I told you to put your okay. cursor. So with, I don't listen to good sense. No. Okay. You get a script. <laughs> I'm going off of my talent. You're just sheer <laughs> charisma. Talent. Yeah, I know. I need all. I need all the crutches I can get. 
so with <laughs> with the addition of the sacramental wine, uh, this visionary experience and the method of exploration seems to hold the most explanatory power, given that a lot of these men actually stuck to their story, even though they left the church and didn't think fondly of Smith at the end of this. Um, they still stuck to stuck this. to this visionary experience as actually having happened. This okay. was still a deeply meaningful experience to them. So hmm. getting a total of 11 men to share a subjectively visionary affirmation that Joe's gold plates were indeed real, he provides them with a pre- prepared document uh, that I had mentioned, which they were to sign. Not only does this cleverly worded document obliterate the idea that Joe Smith was an illiterate country bumpkin, but walks the line of reality and utter propaganda like a professional tightrope walker. The prepared statement for the three witnesses, uh, get ready for Joe's prophet speech, because it's all in Joe's prophet voice. I'll, I'll, I'll read it like Joe, I think. Good. Didn't you decide on a specific voice? I did. I I have a I have a prince voice that I like to do the uh, which, which I had when the first time you had said that I thought you meant prince like which is good because I am a prince uh, fan but yeah. I just I don't know I didn't know we prince well charming enough. yeah which makes I mean that makes sense but my you know idiotic brain went to like oh yeah prince oh so there's a, just the idea though that like Joe. They like to circulate that Joe is a simple country bumpkin. Yeah. Listen to this this prepared document, mm-hmm. and it's very clear that this guy knew how to write really well. Well, his parents were teachers, right? Yeah. And yeah. Or his mom. <laughs> even though he like grew up reading the Bible and stuff, and it clearly influenced his writing mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. this guy is very good at cleverly wording documents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Quote, Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people unto whom this work shall come, that ye, through the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, have seen the plates which contain the record, which is a record of the people of Nephi, and also the Lamanites, their brethren, and also to the people of Jared, who came from the tower of which hath been spoken. And we also know that they have been translated by the gift and power of God, for his voice hath declared it unto us. Wherefore, we know of a surety that the work is true. Mm-hmm. And we also testify that we have seen the engravings of which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God and not of man. And we declare with the words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven, and he brought and laid before our eyes, and that we beheld and saw the plates and these engravings thereon. And we know that it is by the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that we beheld and bear record that these things are true. He's just like reiterating himself. Uh, over it's, and over. This, this is real. Not not a person. Did- but very cleverly worded. <laughs> and it is marvelous in our eyes. Nevertheless, the voice of the Lord commanded us that we should bear record of it. Wherefore, to be obedient unto the commandments of God, we bear testimony of these things. And we know that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ and shall dwell with him eternally in the heavens. And the honor be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, which is one God. Amen. Um, Kind of glazing over the fact that that part of the document alludes to a belief in the Trinity, which at this point Joseph may be subject to. Later, he very clearly separates. They are three distinct beings. We do not believe in the Trinity. Um, also, very cleverly worded, use a lot, uses a lot of like naturalistic language, like be, we've beheld with our eyes mm-hmm. as though it physically happened. Yeah. And then he, uh, this is given to us by the power of God, right. but, and totally not of man. Not of a person. And yep. uh, yeah. So very wordy, <laughs> clever words, but a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> Joe, Joe didn't provide an arguably false document, but a nonetheless wholly misleading one. Any lawyer would be proud of this, I think. (laughs) It's very good. Joe gave a very deliberate account of a visionary experience, but he used words like brought before our eyes and we saw the plates, which is, again, very naturalistic language, which leads the reader to interpret a wholly material and physically objective experience, Mm -hmm. but also leaves enough deniable wiggle room against critical inquiry. Uh, just like words of soberness, which he uses, which does not technically require actual soberness at, <laughs> at a past event to soberly recount. Very clever. Doubling down on Joe's clever wordsmithery, the second document Joe prepared for the eight witnesses 
is similarly worded in tone and naturalistic language to that of the first. Okay. Uh, now, remembering the method that these men saw the plates while covered and were in a visionary or entranced state directed by Smith while they were looking in an empty box, <laughs> uh, take this into account. Okay. Be it known unto all nations, kidrons, and tongues. Okay, you just got to open it the same way every time, Joe. <laughs> uh, unto whom this work shall come, that Joseph Smith Jr., the translator of this work, has shown us, shown unto us the plates of which hath been spoken, which have the appearance of gold, and as many of the leaves as said Smith has translated, we did handle with our hands. Remember, part of it was sealed, so they're t they're just saying that we only got to see the part that wasn't sealed. Okay. Um, the appearance. And we also saw the engravings thereon, all of which has the appearance of ancient work and of curious workmanship. And this we bear record with words of soberness. Again, words of soberness. Words of soberness, not actual soberness. That the said smith has shown unto us, for we have seen and hefted, and we know of a surety that the said smith has got the plates of which we have spoken, and we give our names unto the world to witness unto the world that which we have seen, and we lie not, God bearing witness of it. And again, this is Christian Whitmer, Joseph Smith Sr., Jacob Whitmer, Hiram Smith, uh, Peter Whitmer, Hiram Page, John Whitmer, and Samuel Smith. So, all eight witnesses are either direct family members of the Whitmers or the Smiths. So he got a bunch of his friends and family yeah. who are probably in on this. Again, Cowdery's and Smiths are, and uh, Whitmers are probably in on this. Mm -hmm. He got those guys to sign this. And we hefted it. We, we handled it. We saw it in a vision, <laughs> totally by God, not of man. But, oh, and, and he's definitely got words in there where they were, if if he was standing there with them and they were like, I don't know if I could sign this. He says, it says appeared. Yeah, it appeared to it be gold. Appeared. It's so what, you're not saying 100%. It appeared to have like, and hieroglyphs. Didn't we take soup. a lot of wine before that? He's like, it's words of soberness. Words of soberness. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, you're good. Very, you're not going to lie. God's not coming after this you. This is a great lawyer document. It, it really is. And he is not a simple country bumpkin. He may be uneducated, but he's very intelligent. He's very crafty. And he's a good good writer. He's Trixie. He's Trixie. He's Trixie. Trixie. <laughs> <laughs> Do it with Joseph. <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> They wants to see my precious. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do for anyone who wants to do fan art of Joseph as Gollum looking at gold plates. Please, please get on that. Oh. So, uh, nonetheless, a lot of these guys had trepidation in signing this document, like I said, but they eventually did. Uh, but given the charismatic, convincing by Smith, this original hesitation is very much worth noting. Uh, they knew how they were really shown the plates, and while presented, this presented document wasn't necessarily untrue, its misleading words seemed to take a lot of context out of the experience. Um, also worth mention is uh, essentially, like I said, two families and Harris, uh, the, the guy funding all of this, two families plus the guy funding this comprise the signers of this, uh, these two documents. Plenty of other people outside of these men had at this point handled the plates at this point, um, including like women too. There was a bunch of women that had handled this. It's it's really strange that none of them are required to sign anything. Yeah, or, or were were asked about this. Oh, okay, so because that was interesting, because I noticed that you were saying all men. So yeah. this is the first time I'm hearing that you're saying that women were included in these groups mm -hmm. with the laced wine. Mm -hmm. One of one of Joe's uh, eventual polygamous wives is actually in the group that handles the plates and helps hide them under a, a their. Remember, he, they hid the plates under their their uh, fireplace. Oh, one of the women that hid them under the fireplace and like actually was handling them wrapped up. That was a while back. Yeah. She eventually becomes one of his plural wives. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, he, he liked to mark them early. Jeez, yeah. it makes me so mad. But didn't she go and tell her cousin or something? And he came and he was like, they were there. Which like, kind of leads me to believe, and some historic historians have speculated, that that event with the treasure diggers, that wizard battle, yeah. was all orchestrated by Joe to drum up uh, like interest in the plates before it got published later he was trying to find a mark and harris was it seems like he had harris picked out and he was trying to drum up rumors in the neighborhood mm -hmm. to get harris worked up and then sent his mom over to harris's house to be mm -hmm. like hey uh we have this project you might mm -hmm. be interested in okay um <laughs> interesting very interesting uh, one can obviously understand why joe didn't uh ask 
for the testimonies of the three men who snuck a peek at the plates and testified to seeing a masonry pick. <laughs> yeah, wh- which uh, guys were those? Those were... Um, the ones where he was like, ha, just kidding, Just guys. kidding, guys. Like... That was a joke. Let's drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's right. Two of them were his friends, and I think the other one was... One of them was one of his treasure... One of the guys in the treasure digging group. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, I have to go fine. back. That's fine. So, uh... Joseph has Harris bring these two witness documents and the completed manuscript to the Grandin printing office, where everyone pretty much immediately sees the document for what it is. Um, I should bear note here that Abner Cole, the local journalist, uh, Obadiah Dogberry. I was wondering where he was. I was going to ask. He's Okay, so he prints his newspaper in the, the Grandin printing offices. Okay. And... He, because he does, when Harris brings the manuscript, Abner Cole and all, and all the printing office people are like, oh my God, you have I to read this shit. This, yeah. So all of them sit around reading it and they're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and Abner Cole's like, I'm fucking printing it. I'm going to, pr- I'm just going to print this. And despite that Joe had a copyright of this at, so the, the gold Bible satire yeah. is because Abner Cole at this time has access to the manuscript copy of the Book of Mormon and starts plagiarizing and like satirizing, is that how you say it? Satirizing the, uh, the document into the gold Bible publication. Um, Joe hears about this and goes and like goes to the, the printing office to confront him. And he's like, Hey, I have a copyright dude. And Abner Cole, like apparently this is according to Lucy Smith, but Abner Cole apparently tries to like pick a fight with him. He like takes his coat off and he's like, I'll fuck you up, dude. Like you need to stop, stop this. I'm going to print this either way. And he's like, I have a copyright. And he's like, fuck your copyright. I'm going to print this because you're a con artist and I know what you are. And do you think you're a better man? You want to go outside? And I'll like, I'll, I'll whoop your ass, dude. And they like almost get in a scuffle in the printing office. And so they eventually come to, like, uh, they mediate this uh, through arbitration. Uh, there's no, like, legal thing that happens. But it, Cole, like, uh, agrees to stop printing it, essentially. But he prints what he's already done. So the whole Abner Cole thing happens in this time window. So they're just kind of articles that are making fun of it that he prints kind of, like, weekly in his paper? Yes, okay. and it's right before Joe prints his Book of Mormon. So Joe's worried that he's going to fuck up the sales of the the Book of Mormon and Abner Cole's Which like is, I mean it is kind of messed up that he like takes advantage of his ability to see it although you know I'm not well he, I'm not and that's, saying that he shouldn't stop him that's what he th- he thinks he's doing like a public service right and okay. he, that's why he publishes it under a pseudonym okay Obadiah Dogberry so that he can, <laughs> has some legal cushioning yeah and then he he thinks he's doing like a public service by okay. warning the pe- people like yeah. this is going to get published this is what you're fucking reading and I know this kid this is my interpretation of what's actually being done to you please think please people. think about the thing you're about to read yeah yeah so okay. he so he agrees he with Smith how stupid people are okay <laughs> he, he agrees with Smith to just stop printing it and that's why we we only have like three issues of the gold Bible is because he had it all prepared and was like printing it when Joe came in and like confronted him and they almost got in a fight. Mm-hmm. So he, they like eventually worked it out, but he was like, Hey, I've already printed this and it's already like in the process. I'm going to release it, but I'll stop. Okay. And so they don't take any legal action, but that's what happens at this point. Okay. <laughs> so while all of that's happening, um, again, Everyone who saw or handled this, knowing Joe uh, and his near decade-long reputation in the area as an occultist and legally tried confidence man, and they also knew Harris as a wealthy religious fanatic. So everybody knew what was going on, and they saw Joe's new pivot for what it was. Uh, so the alleged like legitimization of that produ- of the production of a, like this prepared document signed by the Smith family and the Whitmer family, essentially, everyone was just like, hey. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And in what was likely a hilariously awkward meeting, Harris and Smith negotiate with the press owner, E.B. Grandin, the guy who had printed the copyright mm-hmm. with like the very like yes. shady thing. They had to negotiate with a printer because there's only like two or three of them in town and they get him to print it. Oh, and all of his friends and neighbors are like, dude, don't print this because yeah. they're poor and they're being backed by this guy who can't. They want 5,000 copies of this book which is a, a, a huge printing for back then. Wow. And so he didn't, th- none of the neighbors were like, hey, none of us are going to buy this. They're not going to sell any of these books. So you're not going to get paid. You shouldn't even print this. And so he has a lot of trepidation, even printing it. Okay. Um, and 
you know, obviously. But I'm sure Harris goes in and pretty much confirms he's got the money. Well, that's where he leverages his, his property. Uh, obviously oh. doubtful uh, regarding the payment. Uh, Grandin demanded a price of $3,000 at the time, which is huge wow. for the, for the you know, relatively large printing of 5,000 copies of yeah. the Book of Mormon. And Harris subsequently mortgages his farm to Grandin as collateral. Okay. Uh, Grandin. Holy crap. <laughs> Lucy must have been pissed. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> So and again, God, I, he she left him. Event she she leaves. Lu- Lucy him. Harris she, leaves him. She, a woman divorced a man in the 19th century. Damn, over Gina. all of this. So like, take that into what, account. But, uh, whoa, okay. I have so many questions for that because that. How could you get away with that? It, she was a well getting bull whipped by your drunk husband. That happened is, to every like pretty much like five out I'm of just six women. That might she was a strong. Uh, willed woman let's say for the time and oh, for i sure. could see she that as being be. a catalyst of like you're spending all our money you're beating me and just like fuck off dude yeah. I, I i deserve better than this and she was the type of woman that would do that so she like, must have had mad respect from a good family mad respect for lucy yeah. harris oh absolutely but not that easy still. not for her daughter unfortunately who i think also becomes a polygamous wife <sighs> And she was one of the women that handled the plates, too. Oh, she remember? was. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. They sent them over. And okay. so was her mom. Her mom, obviously, was like, this is bullshit. And she, the young, impressionable teenage girl who, handsome in his mid-20s Joe, kind of... Her mom probably saw that happening, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, There's a good, another perfect reason to have some fire under her ass. Okay. Continue, Seth. <laughs> so, uh, Grandin was, you know, rightfully skeptical of Joe's new con... And while he knew Harris was a wealthy man, he very rightly had his doubts over how deep Harris's pockets and dedication to Joe's new career as a modern day prophet was. Mm-hmm. Grandin refuses to print the Book of Mormon without cash or collateral, but Grandin continues uh, preparing sections of the title pages and the witness statements while Harris attempts to secure funds in the meantime. Okay. So he mortgages his farm, but they're still trying to get like cash for the the printing. Okay. Rather amusingly, as a side note. The entire manuscript that they handed them was completely unpunctuated and uh, not grammatically correct. (laughs) I think I mentioned this previously, but this book was what should be more accurately described as a received or like transmitted book, Mm -hmm. as it is one streaming flow of Joe's consciousness. Over 500 pages of utterly unpunctuated narrative was a problem for a small town printer trying to uphold his reputation. Write a script for this podcast tripping balls okay <laughs> that's true all right that's true i jeez maybe one day we'll try that <laughs> but that is not this I mean, day the fact that it's legible let's not get greedy we'll, um we'll get into that <laughs> some of it's not the most legible <laughs> cool uh so as such, uh, Grandin's typesetter, John Gilbert, offered Harris and Cowdery and the guys that kept coming in to check up on this, he kept he offered them to edit the manuscript by adding paragraphs, sentences, and, you know, basic punctuation, which, as a writer, I have to say, accounts for a large portion of the narrative in terms of, like, tone, pacing, contextualization. Harris actually resists this idea at first and instructs Grandin's printing office to print the manuscript as is. He was like, revelation is God's word. Print it as is. And the guys are just like, God damn it. We we have a reputation around here and I have to print something that's legible. Um, props to them. <laughs> props to them. So so John Gilbert like doubles down and he nearly refuses to work on the project unless he can make it coherent. <laughs> and... Uh, Harris is forced to finally like oblige him. I can see why he. I mean, now that you've explained to me the money situation, mm-hmm. he's like, if these don't sell, and I, yeah, I can see why okay. he'd be I, like, okay, man, okay, we, we can't do this. Okay, so you know, you have the Book of Mormon, a book touted by Mormons as the most correct and factual book ever penned by man, which was originally edited, punctuated, structuralized by a critic and skeptic of the Book of Mormon. 
<laughs> since it has then overgone some like 5,000 or more major edits and corrections. Really? But that's another episode. We'll, okay. we'll go over that. Mm -hmm. Around this time, though, after setting the print for sections of the Book of Mormon at the Grandin Printing Press, uh, Gilbert, the typesetter, mm -hmm. was dealing with Harris and like talking to him regularly. So he heard about the vision and all this other stuff that was going on. And this is his account of what happened. He said, quote, Martin was in the office when I finished setting up the testimony for the three witnesses. He was setting up the type for that document. And he asked Martin while he was in the office, uh, Martin, did you see those plates with your naked eyes? Martin looked down for an instant, raised his eyes up and said, no, I saw them with a spiritual eye. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> Another of the 11 witnesses uh, once defended his misleading statement with uh, similarly clever wording, made to fit nicely into an early account that drew too much criticism. Quote, I now say I handled those plates. They were fine engravings on both sides. They were shown to me by a supernatural power. Unquote. <laughs> so he's like, I did handle them. There were engravings. It was in a vision, but fuck off, dude. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but it caught me that they're double-sided. Like, normally when you engrave something yeah. in, like, a metal like that, you'd only do one side. Well, we'll get into the engravings eventually, I, yeah. I imagine. So, indeed, uh, less than a decade after his vision of the angel and the plates, e even Martin Harris was reported to have eventually admitted that Joe himself never saw the plates except in vision. <laughs> So, quote, Martin Harris, one of the subscribing witnesses, has come out at last and says he never saw the plates from which the Book of Mormon purports to have been translated, except in vision, and that he further states that any man who says he has seen them in any other way is a liar, Joseph Smith not accepted. Uh, so, so when he left the church, he was eventually like, you know what? I don't even think Joe saw these fucking plates. I think everyone saw them in vision, even Joe. And if anyone says they didn't, they're a liar. So the much uh, nodding my maligned, <laughs> the, the much maligned, uh, uh, the much um, persecuted Harris, because uh, Joe, as we'll get to, anytime somebody apostatizes, Joe just immediately like talks shit about them and tells everybody that they're full of the devil and everybody should shun them and all this other nonsense. Yeah. Um, and so Martin Harris, after as narcissist being too. the funder for this whole thing, eventually comes out as like, you know what? I did see something. I did see something. It's, but nobody handled those and they weren't real. But yeah, we saw something. And that's one of the three witnesses, like one of the guys that's supposed to legitimize this document yeah. who funded the printing is saying this about Joe. So it's God like, damn it. The sacramental wine <laughs> is a plausi plausibility. <laughs> we'll get into the open use, but for now it's still subjective, but like, come on, it's very plausible within a year. They're doing this in the open. So we're passing midsummer of 1829 at this point, and Harris is getting increasingly nervous about the cost of the Book of Mormon as he cannot secure additional funding or loans to pay for the printing offices, and he, his whole farm is mortgaged against this thing, and uh, it seems that no one else involved has the liquid assets to contribute financially. So uh, after complaining to Smith about bearing the financial burden of this religion, you know, Joe miraculously, through one of his telephone-to-God moments— he delivers Harris the following abridged revelation with his head in his hat. <laughs> so he's yelling at he's yelling at Harris with his head in his hat in the voice of God. I just there's some historical moments I wish I could have be a fly on the wall and watch. This is one of them. Um, and I'm gonna read you in Joe's prophet voice because it's just and I'll, I'll maybe break in with some translations here because it's it's yeah. Joe's prophet's voice. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Please uh, quote. I am Alpha and Omega, Christ the Lord. Yea, even I am he, the beginning and the end, the redeemer of the world. He always has to begin this with like, this is Christ and totally not Joseph with his head in his head. Retaining all power, even to the destroying of Satan and his works at the end of the world and the last great day of judgment, which I shall pass upon the inhabitants thereof, judging every man according to his works and the deeds which he hath done. And surely every man must repent or suffer, for I, God, am endless. So, Harris, this is definitely God, not Joseph speaking. 
I am the shit of all shits, and you are fucking up my zen here, man. <laughs> Continuing <laughs> through the meat telephone that is Joseph. <laughs> God goes on. <laughs> Wherefore, I revoke not the judgments which I shall pass, but woes shall go forth, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, yea, to those that are found on my left hand. Nevertheless, it is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written, endless torment. (laughs) For behold, the mystery of godliness, how great it is. For behold, I am endless, and the punishment which I giveth from my hand is endless punishment. For endless is my name. Wherefore, eternal punishment is God's punishment. Endless punishment (laughs) is God's punishment. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Right? Okay. As the shit of all shits, I can fuck your shit up so bad, man. So much worse than you ever knew, man. This is Joseph in his head and his hat. Wherefore, I command you to repent and to keep the commandments which I have received by the hand of my servant, Joseph Jr., in my name. And it is by my almighty power that you have received them. Therefore, I command you to repent. (laughs) Repent, lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth, and by my wrath, and by my anger, and by your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not. (laughs) How exquisite you know not. How hard to bear you know not. Listen to Joseph, (laughs) goddammit. I mean me, dammit. Dammit, Harris. I know the human telephone thing is weird and his head in the hat is objectively awkward (laughs) means of communication, but just listen to Joseph. If I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to hell you so bad, Harris. (laughs) Hell you so hard. I'm going to hell you so bad. You don't even know how bad. (laughs) This is like a revelation in Mormon scripture right now. Mm. You can go read this. In the book? This is in their book of Mormon. This is in the, uh, the, the Doctrine and Covenants right now. You can flip to the back of most Book of Mormon publications and read this. Quote, And again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor seek thy neighbor's life. And again, I command thee that thou shalt not covet thy own property, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon, which contains the truth and the word of God. Pay the debt thou hast contracted with the printer. Release thyself from bondage. Leave thy house and home, except when thou shalt desire to see thy family. And speak freely to all. Yea, preach, exhort, declare the truth, even with a loud voice, with a sound of rejoicing, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of God. Why are you asking God for money? You made this bed, Harris. Now go lie in it. I am like speechless. Fix your own, fix your own problems, and stop blaming Joseph, or it's totally hell for you. Yeah, this is this revelation, as I mentioned, is now DNC section nineteen, which I know means nothing to a lot of you, but for Mormons and ex-Mormons, you can now go pull out your old scriptures and read the unabridged version yourself, as it's still being circulated as a main religious text of Mormonism. Uh, I went into this because a unique part of Mormonism is their concept of hell, uh, or what they call outer darkness. Uh, It is portrayed not so much as a place of pain and punishment, uh, but being simply just absent from the light and presence of God, and that knowing that is hell in itself. So just like being in darkness and knowing that you could be within the light and grace of God is hell enough. Okay. <laughs> Which kind of, and that's an event, that's kind of what Joseph fleshes out eventually, years later. Mm-hmm. But in this early document, when he's telephoning to God, he's still in the like fire and brimstone mode. So it's funny how it's that continued revelation, like God changes his mind constantly yeah. and kind of at a whim. Um, <laughs> the ultimate con man has to pivot. <laughs> yeah. You know, Mormonism clearly evolved over Joe's lifetime, and it was usually to suit his needs as they presented themselves. Uh, And this is just one of those great moments. I'm guessing that this revelation is meticulously placed in a part of the book where it's taken out of context. So, Yes, actually, and timeline. Uh, So originally, all of these revelations of Joseph's Mm -hmm. are printed years later. We'll get to that. 
uh, they're printed in a book called the Book of Commandments, which is a chronological order of these revelations. And you kind of get a very odd when they're when they're chronological like that, you get a very different version of the story. So unsurprisingly, years later, they changed the Book of Commandments to the Doctrine and Covenants, which they published today, and they mixed all of them up. <laughs> so in a kind of Nostradamus style, you have all these revelations mixed up chronologically that you have to piece together and it comes across as more like philosophical or spiritual than okay. than Joe covering his ass. <laughs> and Joe did this. And Joe, yeah, Joe okay. did this. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so because of all this, and rightfully so, uh, Harris shuts up for fear of God's damnation, and he uh, finalizes negotiations with Grand and the printer. Harris offers to mortgage uh, huge sections of his land and pay the $3,000 printing fee, which I don't know if I mentioned this, but that's about $85,000 today. You didn't. No. Okay. In today's money, that's about $85,000. That's a lot of cash to come up that's with. Uh, and despite Grandin trying to talk Harris out of the disastrous con he found himself entangled in, like Grandin even is like, this is not going to end well for you, Harris. I'm trying to be the good guy here. Don't, please don't do this. And Harris like just keeps doubling down. Um, and he continues anyway. And he signs an 18-month repayment agreement with, uh, with Grandin. And therefore, much of his real wealth is given away as collateral. This, as I mentioned earlier, was not another smart move for Harris. So, you know, dum, 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 dum. Yeah. Just keeps keeps making bad decisions. Everything settles down relatively for a time over the winter of 1829 to 1830 as everyone is waiting for the Book of Mormon to finish printing. Not being able to go a season without fumbling. Uh, during this winter, Joseph has one of his telephone to God moments telling him to gain funds by selling the copyright of the Book of Mormon. Oh. Um Harris keeps coming back to him. Grandin keeps stopping the printing process and just not working on it mm -hmm. um, and telling Smith, like, hey, I just need I need cash for this. I don't think this is going to sell. I don't want to take Harris's form from him. And he's trying to be a good guy by, yeah. like, just kind of not working on it. It's a nice passive way of, <laughs> of, uh, of well, but showing it, protest. I mean, but I can see, I mean, he's probably got employees. He has machines to run. He has overhead. Like, he's got things to pay, too. Mm -hmm. And if he sees that this is not going to be a profitable venture. When he has a, he has a reputation. Life. Yeah. Brandon Printing Offices is going to be on the Book of Mormon publication page. He just, he, he has that in mind, too. Yeah, um, but so, so that's that makes perfect sense why he's it's just very smart so joe because of all this has one of his telephone to god moments you know and god is like hey go sell the copyright to the book of mormon and you know make make this like a profit sharing thing hmm. and we'll make more money so this okay. is just joe trying to drum up funds uh to get grand and to keep printing because if he can have cash and you know the collateral is not as much he doesn't have to worry about his conscience which joe clearly isn't worried about um so it's it's funny how like Joe repeatedly told not to seek earthly gain with the plates, mm -hmm. but now it's okay. And then soon again, it won't be it's just kind of like to suit his needs. Joe, after uh, unsurprisingly not securing a buyer for his copyright because no one in town wants to touch this thing, is forced quickly to backpedal and admits that this telephone to God was his bad and it wasn't God telling him to do that. This is one of those moments where it actually was just me in my hat. I'm sorry. I fucked up, guys. This wasn't God. But it's this only one, the only this one time has that happened. Um, and it totally won't ever happen again in the future, guys. So remember that. Um, <laughs> um, let's go have a drink. Let's go. Let's go drink. Uh, you know, mysterious ways God works. <laughs> Very mysterious, mm. those ways. Mm. In early spring of 1830, Printing is finally finished and when? Gran spring? In spring of 1830. Okay. And Grandin's Wayne Sentinel posts announcements for the Book of Mormon publication. The book, punctuated and edited by typesetter John Gilbert, who couldn't bear to print a 500 page run on sentence, uh, was originally posted as $1.75 retail or about $50 today. So it was nice. It was leather bound, gold leaf. It was about a pocket size. It was a nice little book. Mm hmm. The community of Palmyra, Manchester, had already agreed privately amongst themselves to boycott the sale, given their dislike of Joe and his family's, you know, decade-long career at that point of con artists and drunken sure occultists. The publisher knew. 
so they made do on that promise and hardly any copies were sold and despite the sincere efforts of martin harris like he ran around really oh, trying to sell this that kind of makes me sad not he at all it's his wife it's pizza's wife. <laughs> not at no, all don't feel bad don't feel bad uh joseph knight the one of the money digging friends recollected that while he and joe smith made their way to the smith farm in manchester uh, the two men met Harris along the road with a stack of unsold Book of Mormons in his arms, and Harris exclaimed, The books will not sell, for nobody wants them. <laughs> <laughs> and after the prophet uh, allegedly attempted to assure Harris that given some time the books would sell, Harris demanded another commandment. He like just was like, Give me one of your... Call God. Call God right now. I'm... And tell me... A... Give me a revelation. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, it's funny that he has to like ask the operator to God. It's, it just seems silly to ask for, uh, you know, a divine tongue lashing from the Lord through Joseph. But anyway, Joseph, uh, deflects Harris's requests for a new jet revelation. He's like, eh, not right now. <laughs> I don't have my hat. <laughs> and, uh, the three men make their way to the Smith homestead together. Uh, that night, Joseph Knight recorded Harris's rather strange behavior after Joe's refusal. So Martin's just really worked up, and he's a visionary. So this is what happens to Martin that night. Okay. Martin awoke me in the night and asked me if I felt any strange thing on the bed. I told him no, says I. Did you? Yes! I felt something as big as a great dog sprang upon my breast, says I. Uh, was you not mistaken? No, says he. It was so. I sprang up and felt, but I could see nor feel anything. In the morning, he got up and said he must have a commandment to Joe, and then went home. So he got up from this weird nightmare. He's like, I need, I need a commandment from Joe. And then he just leaves, disgruntled and worried about his farm. And it's just a short time afterwards, on April 6th of 1830, that the Mormon church is finally founded. Originally under the name The Church of Christ, uh, and this is done in Manchester, New York. As a tiny tangential rant, this is also uh, the day that Smith later revealed was, in fact, uh, I think the birth date of Christ, not Christmas. Like This was the so, birth date of Christ. Okay, so he's saying this is his birthday, yeah. and now we're starting this church. The Church of Christ, yeah. The Church of Christ. Um, we'll, we'll leave it there okay. for now, I think. This okay. is a good point. Uh, the church yeah, is now officially founded, and Joe's made his very successful pivot from a cultist to prophet, although he can't really sell the Book of Mormon yet. Okay, but a good way to start a book is to start a cult. <laughs> to, I mean, not start a book, a relig sell a book. Religion. It's a Let's religion. Do I, I, Don't say cult near Mormons. They hate it. Okay, a good way to sell a book is to start a religion. It's It, it was the Scientology of the 1800s. <laughs> And I think as a, I think as a, that famous, not fake prophet at all said, uh, it's easier to make, what is it? You can ma uh, make pennies selling science fiction or millions oh, selling yeah, religion. Yeah. yeah. Joe is definitely a precursor to the uh, L. Ron his, Hubbard. This is his big book tour. This is his book tour. So he does eventually sell books. And as you can imagine, it, it uh, doesn't doesn't flop it they just have to move out of the palmyra <laughs> area <laughs> um so in our next ep uh, narrative episode uh things really go off the deep end this is where like mormonism's a thing now and things get crazy immediately okay. joe is arrested once more and brought to trial just months after founding the church by his very neighbors Shush. who I'm, it's just a teaser it's a teaser he's brought to trial again yeah. for his old charges by his neighbors. And it's because they don't want him a con man to start a religion. So people are trying to stop this before it gets off the ground from the very beginning. Cause they know what Joe is. Okay. Uh, Joe performs the first uh, exorcism visionary. Sidney Rigdon enters the church and the Mormons almost immediately begin openly using drugs, Christian communism, plural marriages. Okay, uh, what's next? A lot of things, needless to say, get psychedelic Evolve. as fuck and stranger than fiction. Um, I may go off onto some tangential episodes for the next few weeks 
as this is a good time to break off and rant about other stuff for a minute. So we might like talk about the contents of the Book of Mormon. Okay. And like, because it's going to become real important real quick. Like to need to know what's in there. Yeah. Especially like that, that backbone of racism and Hmm. the whole like history of the Indians thing. Um, We're going to have to get into that. Because, like, the events in the next two years are, you got to know that, too. Okay. So. It's going to be a lot of sighing on my part. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to our website, mormonsanddrugs.com. Um, you can find all the episodes there, obviously. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you found the episode. So, but there's all of our stuff in there. Um, our Instagram is Mormons and Drugs Podcast. And we can be listened to on spotify the podcast app itunes <laughs> probably whatever podcasting app you use iHeartRadio. yeah i had a list over there and it's over too far for me to reach i i don't see it okay so we can be found on spotify google play stitcher tune in radio iHeartRadio, and itunes and you just search mormons and drugs yeah, we should pop up. You'll see our little Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. <laughs> Mormonsanddrugs.com. Mormonsanddrugs at gmail.com. Gmail.com. If you want to email us or you can DM us on Instagram. Yeah, we're probably going to do a, a like a question and answer episode soon. So if I've said anything that needs clarification or yeah, you have any questions for Moth Jula or myself, uh, email us. Let us know. Yeah. Send your hate mail. Maybe we'll address that if it's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.